Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings. Malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. And I have with me today Dr. Son Sullivan. Um, he's a clinical psychologist, and he um, has a new technique and some theories that he's got coming out, and I'm super excited to hear about it. Welcome to our show, uh, Dr. Sullivan. Thanks, Thanks for being so here. Thanks so much, Clint. Yeah, nice to meet you. Looking forward to chatting about this stuff. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of how you got to where you're at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a clinical psychologist by background, so I've been at that for about 20 years And when I came into clinical psychology, I decided to focus all of my research and really the practice on how we can apply technology to psychology. So I did that through grad school and then my postdoc and then in practice with patients. And and what that meant was that I was creating a lot of technologies like apps and um, online courses and virtual reality tools and using them in my practice or producing them for other therapists to use in their practice, therapy practices usually, and learned a lot about what worked, what didn't work. (laughs) And the main thing that I found was that a lot of stuff works well in the lab when you test it and research it, but if it doesn't get used in the real world, then really it's useless in the real world. (laughs) So, you know, and that happened with a lot of virtual reality tools that it would end up in the closet after, you know, a couple, couple uses for whatever reasons, it doesn't mean the tool doesn't work, it just means it doesn't really fit into the lifestyle or the workflow, whoever you're working with. And so that, um, I think that learning on the side of how does technology work well in psychology, and then practicing a lot, taught me that we need to develop a tool that's very foundational to helping our mental health. Mm-hmm. And that tool came out of doing therapy sessions for for those 20 years and realizing at some point that just about every session that I've ever had, I think everyone that, that I can't remember when this didn't happen, someone comes into the therapy session and within five minutes, no matter what the diagnosis is or the treatment plan is, within the first five minutes, the two of us are syncing up 
and whatever the the person came in with that day frustration maybe they came in hot maybe they were annoyed with someone maybe they're feeling um down or unmotivated within five minutes we're synced up and we're in a state of mind a shared state of mind that's positive constructive and then ready to do useful work together mm -hmm. and I've, um, that insight is what led me to say, well, let's sort of uh, reverse engineer what's happening here and teach people how to do that on their own. And that um, turned into what we call a shift. A shift is a short experience that guides you into a better state of mind in five to 10 minutes anytime. So the example is you come into our platform at oneperfectshift.com or the One Perfect Shift apps. You identify I'm feeling lonely or sad or I can't sleep or I'm unmotivated. A couple taps to answer the questions to identify where you are. And then you're provided with a five to 10 minute digital experience that guides you to where you want to go. Um, and shockingly to me as a psychologist, 90% of the time during our research for over three years of these shifts, people reported after a shift that they had shifted toward or into the state of mind that they were trying to shift into wow. or interested in shifting into. Yeah, it's a little different than what you think of as a as a therapist where you have hour-long sessions, you stack a bunch of them on top of each other and you see progress over time. This is about let's learn how to, in the real moment, in the present moment, deal with what we're really going through right now and come out in a place that's better. Mm. That's amazing. So what, what led you to kind of clinical psychology and studying more of the tech arm of, of it? Cause that's, you know, I, I'm assuming you're, uh, how are you? I'm 51. Now. Right. So you're in, you know, I'm yeah. 40. So it's like <clears throat> all that's been is talk therapy and you're hitting, you know, that age where, you know, technology was coming out, you know, after you're out of high school and out, you know, and right when I'm yeah. in high school. So what kind of led to, was that just the timing of these things coming out and that just was where you were at in life or, you know, what led you to seeing that? From yeah, I think it, so there's, there's definitely sort that's of super personal cool. Stories. Yeah. That, that there's personal stories around, you know, difficulties I had with in my own life that, led me, I think, to look more deeply into psychology and to learn all the things that I could about that. And I, I can talk about that. But on the um, yeah, that'd be great. On the technology side, I think it was just what you were saying. We were I was coming into grad school at a time when technology was starting to pop a little bit. Facebook was out and it was just the growth was accelerating. And I I, you know, like most people coming into their career was saying, okay, what's this going to look like in 10 years or 20 years? And it just seemed apparent, learn as much as you can about this and, and we'll figure out how it's applied later. So I think that that led into me really wanting to dive into research around what we knew about how technology is being used in psychology and what, what we didn't know. Um, and it turns out sort of surprisingly to a lot of people that even when I was doing this, looking at this research and doing the research 20 plus years ago, there was a lot of research already on virtual reality tools in psychology. Right. And that's because the military <clears throat> had spent a lot of time and money looking at how they might be able to use VR in training and then VR in post-traumatic stress disorder. And so there was, a, there was a lot of research showing how effective that was. So there's a nice foundation for this kind of research. Yeah, when I got into trauma therapy i was in the army and so you know i'd looked at some of the vr yeah. stuff and i had ptsd and saw, saw some of those things so prolonged exposure was kind of the newer 
thing when I first, you know, was getting my, cutting my teeth on trauma stuff and mm-hmm. I liked it, but it was also like, man, isn't there, it, there's gotta be a better way than, you know, always re-exposing everybody. Cause it does, again, I know you would probably say this, but you know, different strokes for different folks, like, you know, not everything's going to fit for everybody, but yeah. we got to get better variety than having to take yeah. every soldier through this, you know, or every trauma victim through these things. So I love the, the shift in your focus, uh, to trying to use yeah. technology and going, okay, how can we, we're in this world, these things are happening. How can we speed up the process of healing and help people? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think personalizing any experience is going to make it much more effective and useful. And that's what we try to do with shifts is to meet you where you are right then. And whatever that leads into, like in the therapy session example, you, you're going to spend the five minutes shift into a good place and then work on whatever it is in the way that's unique for that person. And um, so the technology- shift is kind of starting the process for you on a good foot and, you know, already in a good kind of symbiotic connection attached place. Yeah, yeah, depending on what you're trying to shift into. So it could be that you're we're, we have shifts that run from I would call it the mental health category, sort of sadness and and anger and and maybe then into the wellness, which is like I'm feeling a little lonely and I want to buffer myself against stress, those kind of things. And then to performance, I have a meeting coming up in 10 minutes and I, I'm unmotivated or I'm feeling nervous and I want to get into a better state. So, um, you know, really meeting people where they are with the sort of need that they have, with the emotion they have right then and then the need they have. And the whole idea here is to teach people how to do it themselves mm-hmm. uh, so that when those triggers come up during your day, you know that you're only a few minutes away from a better place. And actually, um, that's how it came into my own life as a, this is a little different than the the struggles I was having in college with the college breakup that led me to look to psychology for the first time realizing I was an athlete. I'd been trained how to use it as an athlete, but I didn't really understand the connection between that, um, you know, preparing yourself to perform as an athlete and shifting yourself when you're down. Mm. There's a lot of overlap, but it takes um, some practice and understanding uh, to put it into practice. But fast forward to finishing grad school, I was having a lot of anxiety um, waking up overnight um stressed out i'm not getting enough sleep i have all this work to do tomorrow i'm not going to be ready for it all those kind of thoughts and also um a new psychologist thinking i really should have my own psychology in order if i'm going to be literally teaching it tomorrow that's good and so that was what led me to say i really need uh to learn how to deal with this in the middle of the night so that this uh stress coursing through my veins is not something that is actually causing me fear so it happens tomorrow night right right and what i what i developed was the first shift for myself that i sort of refined over time and then found oh if i take myself through this five minute sequence of in this case it was a recording that i would listen to in my own voice um every time it was getting me back to a place where you know, I wasn't necessarily falling asleep within five minutes, but I got to the place where I was looking forward to doing the shift so I would get back to a peaceful state. Mm. And, um, so instead I'm of being down, anxious about going to sleep the next night, you were looking forward to the shift. <clears throat> it, exactly what I'm coming around to is that I think that the downstream benefits of learning to shift your state of mind is that you now know that anytime that you have that particular incident, you have a tool, which means that the original fear that drove the incident 
reduces. So I stopped having that stress overnight. Um, and when I do, when it comes back from time to time, for whatever reason, I have the tool. And as you said, yeah, now I look forward to that moment when it happens instead of uh, having fear that just provokes it in the first place. Yeah, it's really good, man. I mean, <clears throat> as a veteran and having my own kind of OCD and trauma responses, I think, you know, especially for clients, um, it's really difficult when you have a bunch of losses, right? When you have built up nights and days where you're like, this is going to be forever. I'm going to feel this way forever. And that panic just makes the whole thing worse because you haven't ever successfully shifted. You know, I, I love the term. I'm gonna, I mean, it's really easy to, I like that, you know, it is a shift and it's like, yeah. So when you, when I've had success, then the next time I'm like, no, remember, you know, I felt like this last time, but then it went six months without feeling like this again. And until you have those wins early on, you, you just double down on the panic and the feeling, whatever the feeling is, right? For me, it was panic or anxiety, but for other people, it's shame or, you know, depression or, so yeah. I, like, I like that. It's good. Yeah. There's so much in there about, um, First of all, we need to, and I think this is part of what you're you're getting at there too, is that we need to understand we do have different mind states and body states throughout the day naturally. And so first you have to understand that in order to get to the insight that I can make a shift intentionally as well as it happening, you know, throughout the day in ways that may or may not be intentional. And um, but the beautiful surprise here to me has been that people really, really can do it. Well, you learn a couple things and it moves the needle so much. Mm. Uh, and then uh, obviously, in terms of how it's connected to improvement over time, re repetition, um, building habits around it, really important. And we're seeing in all sorts of research that if if you do that kind of thing repetitively, whether it's a shift or a short mindfulness activity, um, you're seeing brain and body changes occur over time that sustain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're connecting those, you know, building those new neuro pathways, connecting synapses that are, you know, needing to be connected. And when you do that over time and, you know, you can transform the brain. It's awesome. I think. You can, yeah. I mean, so the, one of the <laughs> surprises to me there has been the research has been pretty clear for a long time that long meditation sessions have that impact. Mm -hmm. And so slowly we've tested shorter and shorter and shorter down to 20 minutes, down to 10 minutes, down to five minutes now. And we're seeing those same results hold provided that you're consistent with it. And so to me, that means in my life, first thing in the morning, every morning is a five minute shift and easy to say. But I guess the point of saying it to me is that um, I wasn't able to build that habit for 20 minutes, but I but for five, it, it I was able to build it as long as I'm getting a shift that's different every day, meaning that I can choose what where I am right then and it, it can meet me where I am. So I think the research supports it. And then also the tools of technology have gotten better so that we can provide something that is more um, appealing on a daily basis. So take me through kind of what a shift is and what, can you give me an example of how that would work? Yeah. So um, I mentioned before, when you come into the, to the platform, you're going to identify your need in a way you're going to say I'm lonely or I'm frustrated or I'm stressed. And actually that's, we came to see a really important part of the process because what it's doing is making you take that first step of identifying what's going on. Mm -hmm. That is the first half, at least in my mind, of yeah. setting the intention to shift out of it. Naming right? the problem, so, yep. 
Yeah, the, the biggest, um, and I'll come back to that uh, question in a second, but the biggest challenge that we saw once we realized how well it was working is getting people to do it when they need to, right? When you're in a tough spot, you often don't want to take that step. Your, your first inclination isn't, oh, let's open my app and feel better. It's as you were saying, you're cycling and you're feeling like this is never going to end. And um, what we've done to work on that issue is now we send a couple shifts a week to your email inbox. So whether you need it or not, you're getting uh, prompted to go through a shift. Um, and also you, that might not be the right shift for you at that moment, but then you can click and choose what is right for you at that mm -hmm. moment. So getting in front of people consistently seems to be helpful. Um, but in terms of the structure of a shift, you're identifying what's going on. After you've opened up the platform, it could be on a website, it could be in an app, and then you're setting a very clear intention over the next five minutes. I want to shift from where I am to to from X to Y. So I want to get into a you know a more relaxed state of mind, a less stressed state of mind, a flow a flow state. So whatever that is, you're setting that intention. And then practically speaking, you're doing a lot of the things people are familiar with. You're starting by taking a long, deep breath. We can do it together. Allow your shoulders to relax and your arms to fall towards the ground. Mm -hmm. and, and then another critical component of this that is occurring sort of throughout the five or 10 minutes is just cues to notice any mini shifts that are occurring because your capacity to notice when you do have that physiological shift inside you is, is also your ability to stack those mini shifts together into bigger shifts. And so as you, you know, let's, one exercise that I love is taking 100% of our attention and just scanning the space that you're in visually and just choose something that appeals to you that you wanna look at and then set the intention to put a hundred percent of your attention into that object see something about it that you've never seen before for example i'm seeing you know a subtle green on a flower an orange flower that i i wouldn't notice unless i set the intention just to look so spend five seconds a hundred percent attention just studying that object and again notice the state chain that's a change that's occurring as you place 100% of your attention anywhere. In this case, it's a visual attention. And come in to take that action and then notice the mini shift that occurs is the process that leads us to um, being able to do this intentionally whenever we choose to. Mm -hmm. Another exercise, this is often, <clears throat> it's all about attention, right? And so it often is about choosing one way to place your attention and putting 100% of your attention there for a while. And so one that we often will start with is just listen to life, listen, hear the sounds in your environment that you otherwise wouldn't hear unless you put 100% of your attention into listening for 10 seconds. And again, observe that change inside your body And so those are some examples of how we get started with a shift, kind of get a mini shift, set the intention, get it right. And then depending on what that um, topic that you selected was, if it was loneliness, we talk a little bit from a, from a sort of psychology perspective about 
different ways to think about that loneliness, give some insight into what's going on there, normalize it, and maybe talk about um, how other people effectively manage it, and then come sort of back into that more meditative state um, and tools for shifting into the rest of your day. So that tends to be the structure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> things that's happening with shifts is we're trying to teach you how to record your own shifts. Yeah. So this came from, um, I would work with athletes for a tennis player, for example, you have 90 seconds um, on the changeover between games on the odd games. And so we, I would develop with players their 90 seconds that they would record to get themselves into the mind state to go out and serve the next game. So if you can think about applying that concept to anything in your life, for me, it was sleep overnight. I developed one um, or stress overnight. I would develop one to get myself back to sleep. By practicing shifts delivered by someone else, what we're doing is teaching you how to record your own. So within the app, you press a button, you can start to record the things that you want to work on, the the um, cues that really work for you, and then you can blend those into your future shifts. That's cool. I like that. So, yeah. so what um, for the average listener, um, what can they? start today like i mean even those things we just did you know that's very much mindful work grounding work you know helping people get in their body in the moment what um <clears throat> can they go to shift now like can they start this process i know uh you know yeah where yeah. are you kind of at with this product and with this kind of idea and yes yeah, so we actually we've tested it for three years with the university system out here in california and then that university system subscribed for their twenty thousand plus community oh, so wow. we've been those to them and to, to other companies so em employers will subscribe for their employees so employees can get a shift anytime throughout the day but for individuals yes it's the way to start is oneperfectshift.com subscribe you'll start to get free shifts and you'll learn from there. And if you want to get sort of more personalized experiences in the app, then there's paid tiers um, and there's different trainings you can do on it. But to me, the the real key is just starting the habit and maybe you do it by going to oneperfectshift.com and starting to learn how to do it and you'll start to get uh, shifts in your inbox. And you, different people like to do it in different ways. Some people like to just read through it and really control the pace at which they go. Um, by scrolling in their inbox. Some people like to listen. Some people like the visual ones. And so like we were talking about before, really finding what works best for you. Um, for me, it's five minutes first thing every morning. If you, I have found that if you can get yourself into a state, for me, I just think of it as presence. It's really reduced stress coming into this moment and um, reducing all of those thoughts that tend to be spiraling and when we're not doing this kind of thing intentionally. If you do that for five minutes first thing in the day, it has really nice downstream effects for the rest of your day. Um, of course, you can you can do another five minute shift if you need to or when you want to later, but just getting that habit going in the morning um, tends to be sticky because it feels good. So you, you tend to return to it, if, especially if it's just five minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, that's one of the major problems in our culture is just busyness, right? Is getting up in the morning and starting with feeding your brain and your body with stuff that's just toxic and unhelpful and stressful. You know, so what a, what a, I know I love that it's an easy way, right? It's a, I mean, unfortunately, we live in a culture that needs everything to be easy. Um, but it's an easy way yeah. with an app and an email and all those things to kind of get this mindfulness, this shift, this, this focus, 
to start your day with because it's, it's so true. You know, everybody gets up and gets on Facebook or Instagram or checks the news. And, and right there, you're already inundated yourself with all this cortisol and stress. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But and we can also use those technologies. And that's what we're trying to do to create health and wellness in our lives and make it just as easy to get into the good stuff as, as some of that that's more great, man. toxic stuff. The that's next step for needed. us that I'm... Yeah, yeah. To me, the way that we're going to be able to amplify this a little bit and maybe make it even more sticky is we're adding. So right now you come into the app, as I talked about, and you identify what's going on with you and you get a five minute digital experience. So it could be an audio experience that's based on your history of use and then also what you're coming in for right now. What we're doing is adding live shift therapists Mm. so that if I came in and you were a shift therapist and you have you told me a little bit about your background in the military maybe that resonates with me oh this guy's been through some stuff that uh, that resonates i'm going to choose him he's got a five-star rating for shifting out of anxiety and you show up on the app with me and you're provided as a shift therapist of course you've been trained and proven you can do what you're supposed to be able to do but you're providing with the script of a shift for me and now you walk me through that and we walk through it together we both shift together um, over the course of five minutes and we know that um, you know the human human connection is such a big yeah. influence on what happens with our physiology. So the the idea here and the the um, initial data suggests that it's going to enhance that uh, outcome that we're currently seeing with the digital shifts by having a live person, very much like in therapy. You know, when you when you're outside of therapy, the therapist is still kind of on your shoulder as a companion um and that's sort of the vessel through which we think of change happening in yeah. therapy isn't that such a, to... <laughs> isn't that such an interesting uh place to be as a clinician i'm sure you've experienced this a lot but you know clients come in and they say i was listening to you this morning and you were saying this or you know i told my husband what would clint say or what would dr sullivan say you know that's always an interesting dynamic you know and i, I mean yeah. you hear that all the time i'm sure um yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah i mean one of the things that I feel fortunate to have learned early on in grad school in psychology was that the number one variable that's correlated with with positive outcome with change in psychotherapy is the report of the client or the patient's relationship they're feeling about the relationship with the therapist mm-hmm. so if it's a positive the more positive it is the more positive the outcome tends to be yep. and that i think taught us that that relationship is sort of the vessel through which a lot of the change happens so we're trying to take that knowledge and, and add it to shifts. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's it's so true. And I think, you know, we battle that in psychology with with ethics and with um, our culture because in some ways we've there's a lot of people who've removed that aspect out of talk therapy and clinical work and made it very dry and sterile and you know kind of teach you can't have a relationship with your client that you don't need to be in the room you know this is just for them and I get where that might might be applicable for some clients especially uh, if they have you know certain issues but I think the other research shows us in grad school like you just said like you know oh 92 percent of everything is what's happening in the room and what you know the relationship between you and your client but then really the education and the things we push are 92% theory and, and models. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, wait, we need to, we need to be doing our own work. I love that you said that about, you know, you realize like, man, 
I'm trying to tell all these people how to do therapy. I better be in therapy, you know, and I think, yeah, that, I better <clears throat> I think that's practice what I preach. Yeah, man. I, I think, yeah, you know, we know the history of psychology is Sigmund Freud. The whole idea was, as you were talking about, we're, we're getting projected upon and we're, we're meant to not share a lot personally, but the flip side of that, that you were talking about is that relationship being the most important thing and trust being the core of a relationship. If you're not being authentic, the trust is not going to build and you won't have the value of that relationship. So that's been, you know, a, a shift for lack of a better word, I think over the decades in psychology and um, yeah, different, different people need different things, obviously, depending on what they're coming in with. But um, at least in my practice in the last, I'd say 10, 15 years, it tends to be people who are doing pretty well in the sense that they're, they're getting to work you know they're functioning and when you have someone that's at that place in their life and they're they're trying to do better or maybe they're doing really well and they want to do even better mm -hmm. then i think that relationship piece is so it's so important to be open and and um authentic yeah absolutely man i love what you said there yeah that authenticity breeds trust you know and um it is so important because i think that's a lot of clients who come in and people listening to podcasts and watching speakers and all the kind of things, right? Is that people feel safe when they trust you, but they don't trust people when they're inauthentic, when they, when they, when you can tell they're being fake or not being themselves, it's not that they're being something, you know what I mean? Yep. That, you yep. know, sometimes you think, well, I want to come in and a therapist has to be a certain way or a doctor or a pastor or whoever, but really what's more important is for that us as individuals to, to, shift into who we really are right mm. and be who we really are and if that's loud and silly if that's quiet if that's whatever just make sure you're being who you are and that's going people are going to love that and i think yeah. this idea of yeah. shifting is teaching people to to shift into that that space where they can be okay with themselves and then come out of that and be more authentic so not only are you uh -huh. teaching people to be more trustworthy and having trust with you in the work, but they're becoming more trustworthy to the people around them. Is it? Do you, I mean, I, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah, that resonates. I I really love that way of of thinking about it. And as you were talking, I was also reflecting that this is probably also mirrors a change in our culture over time. I think the idea of the white coat doctor, um, you know, telling you what to do, and and you kind of wanting that because that was the definition of what a doctor did, um, might have been powerful 40 years ago but now the culture is the norms have changed so much that that vibe doesn't really go over well <laughs> with people just being sort of told what yeah. to do people and have a lot of trauma yeah right right <clears throat> there's, there's uh you know it's, it's hard to know what it felt like uh in the 1950s or whatever going into therapy whether yeah. that was more appropriate for whatever reason but uh nowadays people do require authenticity or, you know, they're, they're probably not going to come back first of all. And, um, yeah, to your point, if you're working on yourself, sh moving towards authenticity is, is really where you want to be moving. Yeah. That's an interesting point. You know, you get my brain spinning while you're talking. It's like, yeah, it's what's happened historically in America, especially over the last 50 years is, you know, it's a weird dynamic. You use doctors, so I'll just go that direction. But it's like, you know, we have kids with special needs. We have sensory issues and allergies. And, you know, what used to be really rare is now more common. And yet some of these systems haven't changed. Grad school, for example, for, you know, for psychologists and therapists, 
you know, there might be a trauma class or that might be a class on the ACEs study or the brain, but it, that's going to be one class out of the scope of everything where I hope we're moving into, you know, the whole entire thing sits on the bookshelf of trauma-informed care and then everything kind of gets dumped into that. But that's only because yeah, there wasn't, I mean, there was always trauma, but the amount of trauma and the, the ways that people can be traumatized in 2023 compared to 1950 are also totally different, right? It's like, mm. the, it's the immersion versus exposure kind of dynamic. Everybody's yeah. exposed to bad things forever, but now we're being exposed to bad things in an immersive way that is shifting all of that. And so when a parent goes and information, right? A parent goes to a doctor or psychiatrist, they can be armed with, oh, this is what trauma is. This is what EMDR is. I already listened to three podcasts on it, read four books on it. Yeah. And so when that doctor then treats the, the patient or the therapist treats the client, like they're the expert totally. And that person can't have any information unless I share it with you, then that's inauthentic and dangerous. And I think people, yes. people, those people who are like, like you were saying, who are wanting work, who are showing up to work and who have some invested interest in it, they're out. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got millions of people who keep showing up and they're desperate and they don't know any better and they haven't read anything and they'll just take you for what you are. But I think there's way more of a population of people who are doing their work before they even see you. And, yes. And, and that inauthenticity of just like trust me implicitly without any anything is, is going away. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 100%. It, it reminds me of um, some mistaken assumptions I had. So but when I was doing this research back in grad school 20 years ago, the general idea, and I, I shared it, was that, okay, you need to be in person to do therapy. It's not going to work otherwise. Um, it, and it turns out that the, for a lot of things, we can be like this on video or we can be on the phone or depending on what the person's uh, needs are you can use different mediums and it can work really well. Well, a big part of probably the reason for that is also that 20 years on, people have grown up on technology. And so my relationship to that at the time, I'd never done a video call, right? And right. I'm trying to project what that would be like having not grown up with it. Well, now everyone's grown up with different things. And if you're in your 20s now, you've grown up with all of these potentially traumatic uh, things on your phone every day and social media. And so the human that's coming into the room is a different different human, different Amen. constitution. Yeah. And so these tools need to to apply to that person. So really it is a, it is a moving target. I do love the authenticity piece of it. I mean, it does seem like if we center and ground ourselves on that as the objective, whatever we're doing, it, it may, may be a helpful guide. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, and, and I love your point too, about oftentimes someone's going to come into a psychologist's office or a doctor's office and know more than the doctor about the, the nuance of the issue for themselves, having done the research and having the lived experience. And so the role there is a little bit different than it would have used to uh, have been yeah. given the bullet points. I mean, the 10 bullet points are, they're readily available. And if you want chat GPT, <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a shifting um, game, but I think that core that we were talking about of the relationship being the vessel through which good things can happen is something we can anchor ourselves in. How crazy Dr. Sullivan is like, if we would have done this podcast really even just six months ago, but let's say a year ago, we would not yeah. have made that chat GPT reference, which no. is crazy how fast things are moving. 
Yes. Now yeah. everyone gets that. It's all, everyone's on the same page. <clears throat> yeah. There. Yeah. And just for people not listening, ChatGPT is an AI, you know, way of you can type in a question and it'll give you a bullet point answer or write an essay for you or write a song or whatever. And you should totally check that out. And uh, I had a friend of mine on who did a TED talk with me in January and um, he was talking about um, like he's a futurist. So he's looking at like his name is Michael Treza and he does education for schools on how to help kids um, like prepare for the future that's coming, not for the world they live in. And his big push is that same kind of thing is, is just what you were talking about and kind of how I think is I'm looking in, you know, uh, sexual trauma and sexual prevention and all these things. And I'm trying to work really hard at creating things that I see to be coming and how can we prevent that? Um, mm. And you're doing the same way with shift in the sense of like, okay, Therapy's moving to where we can do things online. Things are apps are available. How do we get in this in this area that's kind of toxic with a lot of things and bring some health? And he's looking at like, okay, how are we creating problems like our solutions, but then not looking at answering those solutions and the problems they create. And so it's all in the same kind of pattern of trying to stay ahead of the curve. But man, yeah, that curve's yeah. moving so fast. Moving really fast. Yes, trying trying to to stay useful and relevant to what's occurring now, you know, a couple things come to mind. We work with University of California out here and um, through the counseling center. So all of the therapists tested the shifts for a while and then gave approval to move to the students and the rest of the population. One of the things that, that I learned having worked with the counseling center director, you know, who had been there for 20 years, um, or doing you know psychology in different ways for his whole career recently retired actually is that the the nature of the student there is so different than it was even 10 years ago oh, so it's a yeah. whole whole different person whole different um set of challenges whole different skill sets real strengths in some areas real you know you can call them weaknesses depending on how you are judging things in other areas yeah uh, just a different pace of personal development, different trajectories. So uh, it's so, so important to see and recognize that if we're going to continue to be effective. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, I love that you put it as maybe weakness. I think that's the dynamic that we have to uh, to get into is taking people as individuals instead of groups. You know, we, yeah, we, yeah. we have had this huge shift in our culture where we've this group think of like all people are this way, all, you know, you know, all cops are this way, all, and, and the media has done a disservice to all of that. But I think one of the significant things we have to do as clinicians is find ways to individualize treatment. And I like that shift does that for people. It, it helps people to go, what do I need in my scenario? And what does that mean for me? And that's a really huge issue because the world that's changing, some of the things that we as like, you know, non-millennials see as weakness are things that maybe are just tools that'll never be used again. And that's a yeah. weird thought process, right? We go, Oh, well you have to be able to do that. Well, maybe not. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if yeah. The EMP yeah. explodes and everything goes away and we go back to no technology, all of us are pretty screwed. But the reality is there are things that millennials just don't see as weaknesses because they're never going to use that tool again. And so mm. I don't know if you've ever done like strengths finders or any of that, but it's like, it's that idea of like, why, why would I waste time on something that's in the fringes of me ever using that yeah. is not a tool that I use on a daily basis that I'm never going to be great at when I can yeah. focus on these areas that are what I'm living in and how I'm excellent. And I think 
I think you got to, you know, take that with each person and see what, what that looks like. Yes. Yes. My, my nephew who's 17 was um, sharing that about algebra two yesterday with me. He's like, I will literally never, I guarantee I will never. So we, we can probably all uh, relate to that one in our math careers yeah. with, with exceptions. But uh, yeah, you know, one idea that I think is really interesting related to this stuff is that I work a lot with Gen Gen Z, right? If if you want to call it that, um, the twenty year olds because of the college thing, and um, they could take a lot of incoming. You know, people give Gen Z a really hard time. One of the things that I've noticed that I think is not obvious, but an incredible strength that is going to pay dividends for them and then for the rest of us over time, is that they have developed a um, a nuance and facility with language around emotions and mental health that no generation before I think even really touched on. Yeah. So they're like the the sommeliers of of emotion in some way. And while that might um, lead down some wrong turns in some areas as sort of a part of the learning curve, I think that the the um, ability to develop language around a lot of the things that we had no language around. Um, in the pop popular culture 20 years ago is really what you're talking about there. Things change so much. The tools change so much. Um, and so, so yeah, the, the way that life progresses is going to change a lot. Yeah. But I, I just to give a shout out to Gen Z. It's, it's amazing their, their comfort level with some of the language. And I, I link that to shifts and shifting because really, to me, it's all about developing your your capacity for language around moving your emotional state yeah so they're they're one in the same in some ways um but uh yeah in, until you kind of refine it a bit it can take you sideways also to to have all sorts of knowledge about your inner world yeah i think that's true and i think that we we have to have grace you know for for that generation and for each other when it comes to like we're we're there are pros and cons, and I think in some ways the the pros can far outweigh the cons, and in some others, you know, the cons can far outweigh the pros. But, you know, I'd say, you know, you use the term triggered or gaslighting or, you know, uh, any of those kind of things that over the last five years have become very, very popular on Instagram and, you know, through psychologists and therapists and especially for Gen Z using all the time. And it's like, that's amazing. And I think the pros of having that language and, and being able to name those things for people and pr for people to say, Oh my gosh, that's huge. And I've never known what that is. And that's not been in the literature and we've not known it is amazing. The con mm -hmm. is that everybody's getting gaslighted about everything and everybody's triggered about everything. But I think the pro far outweighs the few people who are going to use it inappropriately versus all the people who now have a thing that they can name their actual pain and their trauma with. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it does to me, hundred percent. I think um, I I think a useful way to think about it also is just that the these are uh, this is a learning trajectory that's you know quite public in this case, right? Yeah. That's going to have to happen no matter what. If you're going to progress, you're going to have to play with it, and you're going to have to get burned by the stove enough times where you say, "Oh, uh, yeah." That's not how I want to use this particular skill, but I can take the skill <clears throat> with me the rest of my life, you know, and again, you know, not to overly bang on it, but to come back to shifting, if you know that you know how to move into a better state of mind, like this is a major life skill that can be applied across the board 
but um yeah, yeah, i think it should be applied that they can shift you into negativity that's the flip side of it that can be used right yeah absolutely i love that you synthesized it too because um you know like you thinking about trauma and clinical psychology and all those kind of things i think our brains can tend to want to tell people way too much you know what i mean like you forget people need like yeah. the teach to fifth grade like kind of mentality i love reddit for that T talking about pros and cons you know reddit's all, i think it's like t T F or something like that. Like teach, yeah, yeah. It's like teach to fifth grade. You know, it's like oh, gotcha. It's like you know, when you're writing something or teaching something as an expert, you need to be thinking, how would I teach this to ten year olds? Because that's about where not not because people are stupid, but because you're going to be teaching way too much information. So I think yep. shifting is great, like for schools and for you know little kids and for it's a great way that's simple and short that's not overwhelming that a person can start to learn the concepts of, you know, these big picture psychology things. And I know you've synthesized down like you're it. Yes. It's five minutes. And yes, it seems like, wow, how could five minutes do this? It's cause you didn't just wing it right. And come up with these, these points and these steps they're they're whittled down and, and, and filtered down to the things that work. And so I think it would be really helpful for parents. We have two boys who are five and a half and eight and a half. And so we do a lot of like, shifting and a lot of mind state and a lot of like what's true and what are you, what you know you can have a feeling but that doesn't always mean it's you know based on what you believe you know all those things yeah and um i think emotional intelligence for gen, gen z and younger is something that you're right they're getting so much you know research and so many articles and so many memes and so many blogs they have all this access to these things that we didn't have one access to when we were you know 10 much less 20. That's it. Yeah. And even your example there, I'm thinking about you teaching your children, right? They, we didn't have, I don't know what you had, but yeah. I know in my generation, it just wasn't a thing no. to say, oh, you know, like I see you're feeling sad. <laughs> like let's, let's work with that or whatever. Yeah. Um, not a thing. Right. No. So the language wasn't there. The concept wasn't there. The like stop crying definitely was like the advice. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Or I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah, but the but so but the downstream effects of a, every parent teaching their child how to do this, like oh, we don't really know what the consequences of that are either, right? It it opens up maybe more of Pandora's box, and so you're going to have some negative and positive. But yeah, we're already yes, seeing that. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate what you said about the shifts. That is the idea that there's a structure. There are elements that we know are very powerful and that work when repeated. And then if we can blend in over the course of each five minutes, sort of a different little message that's related to what's going on with you, loneliness, you know, there might be some useful things to to tap into when you're in that state. That um, It seems to work really well. And the bite size is the right, the right size to, to be able to tolerate and return to. So I'm excited by that. To me, um, one of the things that I love is that we're, we talked about earlier, you're, we're so rushed so often, you know, in the morning, whatever it is, especially I'm sure if you have kids, it's, it's insane getting everyone out the door. Um, when you take five minutes to do something like this, you realize how long five minutes is again. Oh, like it yeah. slows your world and your day down. And um, it's, it's such a great empowering feeling that I, I recommend it. <laughs> I, yeah, like. I bet you do. It's, it's yeah. funny, the paradigm of I, I don't have five minutes to do something, but also when you ask a client to take five minutes to do something, there's, they're like, that's way too much. So it's that yeah. interesting double bind of like, yeah, go meditate for five minutes. 
people are like, I made it 30 seconds and I thought about 10,000 things. I couldn't make it a minute without like, you know, that's, it's really hard when people start. And so although people might hear this five minutes is like, that's, that's pointless. That's the tension, right? Is like, oh, it's interesting that it's pointless to do five minutes and that could never work. While at the same time, you can't make it 45 seconds. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a hundred percent true. And the reality is that of all of the people in the world who meditate at all, probably 98% are in the category of not making it 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're focused on. And um, within a shift, for example, we never have more than a 30 second of silence for that reason, because you lose people and we're not, this isn't a judgmental thing. This is human nature. Clearly this is, this is the way it is. And you know, it's, it's probably fair to say that the attention spans gotten shorter, but, um, a goldfish is what they're saying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The 30 seconds turns out to be really meaningful. So, and I think that's an important message because intuitively, I think most of us would say, yeah, five minutes isn't going to do me any good. Well, it turns out, yeah, actually it does and it cascades. And you can do, you know, you can do multiple five minutes throughout the day too. That's the other thing is like, you know, and, and again, you know, that's the advice you give people all the time, I'm sure, but it's like, okay, you know, 2024 is coming and it's on its way and it's going to be here. And we're going to be in December of 2023 in the blink of an eye, you yep. know, whether it's fitness or mental health or, um, eating better or, you know, writing a book or doing whatever it is that you are out there struggling with. If you get overwhelmed with like, well, I need to do four hours to get this thing done. And then you never have four hours. You'll never do anything. And before you know it, it's December, 2023 and now it's 2024 and nothing's done. Or you could take tiny bites and do a little bit here and there and, and, and allow that to be enough. And man, you, you get to 2024 and you have a book written. You, you, you know, maybe you got in a better shape. Maybe you're, you know, feeling better. Maybe you're less depressed all from five minute bites throughout the day and throughout the weeks and throughout the months and throughout the year. Yeah, totally agree. And I mean, I think your your podcast is a great example of that, right? It's yeah. like you look back after a year and a half, you're like, wow, this is a wealth of work that was done and value that was was created. And it's um, just one one foot after the, one step at a time consistency. Yeah, it is showing up. You know, you can't get caught up in in the numbers or the follows or the likes or, you know, none of those things. You know, you, you just have to know that it's good and, and know that you're putting out stuff that, that, in my opinion, God's put on my heart and that connecting me with people who are like minded and, and, you know, it's worth it. And yeah, over yeah. time, you end up with 100,000 downloads going, oh, man, I didn't think I was going to get you know, a thousand downloads in a year, you know? So, and again, some people have millions and and so there's no, there's no sense in comparing yourself to them. You're not them. You don't have their platform. You don't have their resources. Maybe you will in a year, maybe you won't. It it's, where are you today? And and what's the next right thing that you can do in the next step? And, and so I love shift, you know, the shifting for that you, that you're putting out for that. And, and uh, I'm definitely going to, you know, put it out there for people and, and I'm going to try it this week a couple more times and see how it goes, man. And, you know, because those it. things are helpful. Headspace is another great app for meditation yep. you know, that I've u- I used for about a year. Um, in my, you know, sign up, I was like, I'm not paying for that another year. Um, yep. you know, but I think this will be be something that people really, really use. I really oh. I want to tell you, I appreciate your years of service to psychology and uh, and work, man, and, and your personal work and growth that led to um, creating this. I think it's going to be. Uh-huh and is an amazing tool for people. And I, and you know, on a 
personal level, I, I know, I don't know a hundred percent, but I, I know how much work there was to put into that and how much you know, uh, blood, sweat and tears. And so, you know, thank, thank you. you, man. I, I really appreciate, I appreciate that. That's, that's it's so nice to hear. Um, yeah, as you were speaking, I was also thinking about we, we do get better at things as we do them. You know, you do five minutes a day. You talked about the book example. I think that's almost the best one. You write one page a day for a year. You're right. You got a couple books there. And, it, and the more you do it, the faster it comes, the better you get at it, the better you get at you, you know, doing whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, stick with it and recognize it doesn't happen overnight. But uh, the, one of the things I like about shifts is five minutes later, you do actually feel differently. So there's some evidence of, yeah. of quote unquote, progress. Well, a lot of uh, a, a lot of bad can be outweighed with a little bit of good. And that's just something that yeah. I truly have seen clinically, seen in, in faith, seen in life is that, you know, these things that seem like overwhelming monstrosities of pain and suffering or difficulty, man, a little bit of good, a little love, a little connection can do a, a heck of a lot of good to wipe that out. And, um, yeah. you know, we just have to believe that. And I think yes, that yes. one good day, one good experience, totally shifts your perspective of what's possible inside your world and i think that kind of goes back to this idea that we really do have all of us different states throughout the day and taking a little bit of control over where yours are it goes a really long way yeah when you i mean we live in a world that you know we all pretend like we're in control and we want to have control and we do all these negative coping mechanisms to be in control but the reality is is you know we're not in much control. And so when there are areas that we feel like we can have tools and resources to gain some control for a moment or an hour or a day, I think yep. the next day's better and the next day's better. And like you said, there there's ups and downs and all of us, right? You included, me included, have ups and downs throughout the day, yeah. throughout the weeks. Um, but it's important to remember that we can, you know, that that one moment isn't forever. Yeah. It's good 100%. stuff, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Again, you've listed your website a couple of times. I'll link it to the the um, podcast. This will come out Friday, um, so we have oh, a pretty great. quick turnaround. So I'll uh, I'll tag you on social media if you'll share it, and we'll we'll get your get your stuff out there. And then I am I'm going to sign up and uh, and do some shifting this week, and and maybe after a year uh, or six months, I can have you back on once this is fully launched, and you know we can talk about how well it's going and and what's updated with it and all that stuff. I'd love to support you in any way. I think. Rising tides raise all ships, man. So, you know. I'm with you on that. Thank you, Clint. That was really fun. Good to talk to you. Yeah, and look forward to doing it again sometime. Absolutely, brother. Well, God bless you, man, and uh, have a good week. If you need something, I'm here. You know, I'm, I know I'm nobody, but, you know, Thank one you. of the things <laughs> I always too. tell you, man, is like, you know, there's not enough people out there supporting people doing stuff. And so just man-to-man, therapist-to-therapist, if you need something, brother, just email me, and, and I'm around uh, the corner. Thanks so much. Oh, great to get to know you, Clint. You too, man. God bless you guys, and have a good week.